So we have had a lot of fun, guys, in this uh, series, Simplify, Living in the Rhythms of Jesus. I've actually, just in the last few weeks, have gotten calls from other churches, uh, friends of mine that, you know, some are in Kansas City, some are in Texas. Uh, there's a guy in New York I know. There's a couple other churches that have been asking about this series and how they feel that God is saying the same thing to them in this time, that it's time to simplify. It's time to really just the simplicity of the gospel is really what Colin kicked us off on. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself, right? I mean, that's as simple as it gets. And uh, man, are we good at complicating it or not? I mean, my goodness, we can complicate the gospel to no end. Talk with Jason Johns today. You know Jason Johns, he's out in Kansas City. He said, hey, is your series on, uh, on audio? I said, yeah, only for those people who live in Colorado. And he's like, oh, you jerk. Anyway, we're always, the, the reason is we're always trying to get him to, to move back to Colorado. But he's trying to keep a church alive there in Kansas City. Pray for him and his family. Uh, they're in the ghetto, man, and they are doing some good stuff. And it's tough. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Teresa and I pastored an urban church for five years, and it was tough. And we didn't even live there, and it was still tough. So uh, pray for those guys. But anyway, uh, this has been in a fascinating um, series um, a lot of the context, just so you guys know, we've, we went through it on Tuesday nights in a book called An Unhurried Life by Alan Fadling. Um, plus a lot of the lessons I learned through Slow Church, uh, a couple of uh, Quaker and a Quaker and a Methodist or Presbyterian guy wrote, um, how Jesus did things slow, methodically, listened to the Father, uh, never got ahead of him. You know, the Bible says you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. You hear a voice behind you. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting to note that it's not ahead of us, not beside us. It's behind us. And we got to be careful because sometimes we can outrun God. We can outrun and outpace what God's trying to say and do. <clears throat> and in doing so, we start hearing other voices and we miss the voice of God behind us. And he's like, hey, you need to rush into this. Listen, if anybody's telling you to rush into something, just right, just right now say, that's not God. Uh, God is, is methodical, slow, tender, purposeful. Uh, he's quiet. He's easy. He's a gentleman. And, uh, and he does things on purpose and with purpose. So I uh, just want to encourage you with that. So let's get going. This is a wrap-up. I love wrap-ups because there's so many things that we have learned over the last 13 weeks. You'd be surprised that you've already forgotten. And as we'll go back through some of the quotes, we'll go back through some of the lessons and some of the principles, you'll say, wow, that's true. I've, I've forgotten about that. I've forgotten that, you know, how good that was. I need to apply that to my life. Listen, as a, as a pastor teacher, and I'm, I'm leaning, I find more toward the teacher side, a teacher wants to always leave their imprint on a student. They want their students to walk away transformed. Um, they want their students to walk away having taken material that they've prepared, or in this case, as the Holy Spirit has given us, and has shared together. And, and especially me, I, I want, first of all, I want me to be changed. Amen? I mean, if I, if I can't be changed with you, then, then what, what are we doing? So secondly, I want you to be changed. I want you to say, that changed my life. Not just some more good information. My God, we don't need more information. We need things that will change our lives. And hopefully, 
as we go through this recap, you're going to realize, and there's a lot of things in there, that 13-week study that we did together, and, and whether you know it or not, some of these things might have already been implemented into your life, and it's already changing you. And so anyway, let's get going. Here's our verse. Let's go. Let's read it together. You ready? Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. <clears throat> Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Father, tonight, I pray that your grace would just sustain us. I pray that it would suspend in this room. I pray, Lord, that we would take away life-changing principles from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The first principle we learned. Oh, where'd you find that? Here, you're awesome. So that is pretty bad, isn't it? A little froggy. All right. Now I'm going to start sneezing because every time I take a halls, like menthol stuff, whatever. This was, this, was, this was a fascinating principle for me to learn, that Jesus was relaxed. Remember that? Like what was one word you could use to describe Jesus? Relaxed. Never in a hurry. Never out of step. Never out of tune with the Father. I love these quotes. Do you remember these? It's hard to walk with Jesus and live life at a sprint. Isn't that good? It's hard to walk with Jesus and live life at a sprint. Some of these things really, I never, I don't know about you, but I think we talked about it. And I think the thing was, we never talked about how Jesus was relaxed. We talked about in, in men's group. Men, what were some of the adjectives we used to describe Jesus? Love, yeah, what's another one? What was it? Purposeful, yeah. Powerful. Compassionate. Honest. I mean, I, I was always action verb oriented. Miracle worker. Water walker. Storm stopper. Storm stopper. <laughs> I'm talking, to from, talking to people from Canada. It's the storm stopper. Um, Oh, that was sort of Australian. Anyway, anyway. <clears throat> but we don't. Don't we associate Jesus with all of these action power verbs? But who has ever said Jesus was relaxed? Certainly not me. And I think as we simplified our thought process, we simplified the gospel, it began to make sense to us how, yes, Explaining Jesus as relaxed makes perfect sense. Jumping from that premise, from that platform, it makes perfect sense that Jesus would be a relaxed individual. He wasn't full of tension. He wasn't full of angst or fear. He was never in a hurry. He was never in a hurry to start his own ministry, to you know, head to the next miracle. He was always on time, and he was always on purpose. I love this. Remember the story of the South Americans who would run for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. And then they would just stop. They would stop for no reason. And one day a missionary asked them, why do you stop after running? What, what's the purpose of stopping? And they said, we stop so our souls can catch up with our spirits. 
Isn't that good? I mean, how many times you and I need a rest? We need a respite for our souls to catch up with our bodies, for our souls to catch up with our spirits. Slow down, my friends. Relax. I love the prayer tonight. Uh, Harlan prayed, God, you're on the throne. I'm telling you, when you know God is on the throne, you can relax. Right? When you know that God is in control, you can relax. You don't have to worry. I don't care if, God forbid, Trump's our president. Uh, you can still relax. I don't know how I'm going to relax, but you can still relax. Oh, that's about as political as I'll get from the pulpit. But anyway. Amen. Yeah, thanks. I'll leave that soapbox for Tuesday nights. Relax. Jesus was relaxed. If he is our model, then why can't we follow in his footsteps? We say we do. We say that he's our example. We say it all the time. But do we really adhere to his principles and the way he taught us to live in a relaxed lifestyle? I love this too. Number two, second principle we learned. Jesus developed disciples slowly. Now, this is something not new to Keystone. This is something we've preached probably since day one, since breakfast and Lord of the Rings, uh, that we will be intentional about the way we develop disciples. And I think what's happened is over the last three years of being in existence as a family in this way, that we've learned how to ebb and flow with those lifestyles of other people and how they come and they can it, they they come to our lives and we are able to minister to them and we're able to teach and live life with them and and uh, and they go and we hold people loosely. These were some of the things that that were principled in the beginning, the foundation of our church. Do you remember this? That Jesus never relied on the opinion of the crowd. Isn't that good, my friends? When Keystone begins to measure itself against what the crowd is doing. We've become the crowd. Do you get that? When we begin to measure what we do against what the crowd is doing, then we become the crowd. I think we become ineffective. I think at that point, we lose our significance in our identity. At that point, we lose who we're created to be. We lose our fingerprints, the, 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 the specialty, the uniqueness of our DNA in Jesus. Because we are different. We're going to do things differently. We're going to grow differently. We're going to grow slow. It's not a new concept. It's new sort of in the 20th century, I can tell you. But it's not new in the history of the church. The church always grew slow. Now God miraculously kind of gave it a jump start, right? And it multiplied and it grew and it was fantastic. And then what happened? Did persecution. Yeah, great. And he scattered them. So you've got to throw away your formulas Number one, for church growth. Throw away your formulas for discipleship. I can tell you that discipleship is purposeful, purposely living life together for the benefit of one another. Discipleship is saying I'm going to be intentional about living my life with a group of people. And what I have, I'm going to pour into them. And I'm going to receive what they have as they pour into me. Jesus did this slowly. Against all odds, in today's culture, Jesus would be considered a disaster. You're the son of God, and you only have 12 disciples, and you couldn't even hang on to one of them? 
What? What? In our model today, he, we, we are judged, my friends, on, you know, it's the, it's the, the money, the people, the pews, the, the buildings, and the, how hot worship, and lights, and snowflakes, and fog machines, and, and laser shows. And, but I can tell you that there's a trend coming that's rejecting that and looking for authentic. Right? Now, we're not going to say, hey, we're swinging all the way over here and we're going to be the authentic church and that's our slogan and we're authentic. See? Because we're still in our hearts, you know, want to fill the building. But what if authentic is simply meeting under a tree somewhere in India? It's pretty authentic. Matt and I witnessed that. What if authentic is meeting in a log cabin on the top of a mountain in Mexico? I witnessed that. It's pretty authentic. What if authentic is one pastor on a mule and a flat cart going to people that don't even have bread? Maybe six of them that no one will ever reach. And he brings them chapstick so they can put on their cheeks because it's so windy and raw where they live. It's pretty authentic. See, no one, no one else in the world measures the success of a church like Americans do. They simply are obedient to the, who God called them to be. They live their life in service to their people, knowing that someday God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did exactly what I told you to do. You weren't somebody you weren't, or couldn't be. You weren't faking it. You weren't trying to be somebody you weren't. You're not. You loved people, and you loved me. How, how much more authentic can that be? My friends, isn't that the heart cry of our house? of our church. I want to love people right where they are. I want to embrace them and all their diverse theology, all their diverse political uh, agendas, all their diverse backgrounds, all their diverse experiences in life, all their, all their religion, all their pharisaical you know, hypocrisy. I want to embrace it. And some will stay and some will not. And that's okay. But the, the point is, again, Jesus did this very intentionally. And very slowly. He immersed them in the simplified life of love. And this is good. He taught them to walk at the pace of love. Isn't that good? You remember that? Walking at the pace of love. You ever thought, what is the pace of love? It's the way Jesus walked. Number three. Jesus simplified his life enough to enjoy the here and now. So important. If we're living in eternity, then what's the hurry? Don't get wrapped up in the sedia. Remember that Latin word meaning unholy hurry. Enjoy the now. Enjoy where God has you today. Uh, Rachel prayed that right tonight in prayer. You're, be thankful for this moment right now. Right this moment. Be thankful for it right now. Live right now. Be thankful. Look around. Don't miss this moment. Don't miss this time. Don't miss what God is doing in our lives right now. Don't miss it. Jesus lived in the now. He wasn't worried about tomorrow. As a matter of fact, he commanded us. What did he say? Don't worry about tomorrow. That's a command, guys. Do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow has enough for itself to worry about. Can you add one measure of height to your stature by worrying about tomorrow? Well, I wish I could. You know, 5'9 just didn't really ever 
appeal to me too much, but yeah, that's where I stop. So, have you ever just wondered, you know, what, think about the absolute insanity of worrying about something you can't have any control over? When I did this study, I, I realized a lot of women live in the future. Right? I, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing women. I'm just saying this is, this is a revelation for me. Can I get nods, ladies? Yeah, right? You're, you're worried about my wife's like, what do you want for dinner? I don't, I don't know. I mean, what do you want for dinner next Sunday night? What? Not that bad. She used to be that bad. I'm planning the meal. I don't care. It's Tuesday. I, I don't care what you're making on Sunday. I'm exaggerating. Um, but what I, what I did a lot of reading is women love to plan. They like to jump out into the future. They like to plan for things. And that's not a bad thing. My God, thankfully, I have a wife that plans. Uh, but, ladies, let me just encourage you. If that's where you spend all your time, then you're missing an important principle of the way Jesus lived. Remember Martha? Man, she was busy cleaning. She wanted to get set up for the next phase of what was going to happen in her home. So she's cleaning up the dishes. Well, where was Mary? At Jesus' feet. What was she doing? She was enjoying the now. She was enjoying the moment. My friends, don't miss the moment. Don't be so busy planning for your future that you miss your present. Lily, tonight said, uh, Daddy, can I watch Click? And I couldn't remember if Click was okay or not. I couldn't remember. So I sort of buzzed through it real quick, and I think it was all right. She said, uh, I said, but you know what? There's, there's a scene here. There's a principle in this movie I want you to get, and I want you to tell me about it when you get it. And you remember Adam said, anybody ever seen that movie Click? I think I fell asleep twice trying to watch it. I just, it's just so boring. But anyway, when I woke up, uh, Adam Sandler was old and gray, and he had missed his entire life because he kept fast-forwarding through all the moments that irritated him. Sometimes we can live that way, right? I just want to get through this. I want to get through this task. I want to get through this season. I want to get through this debt. I want to get through this time. I want to get through this grade. I want to get through this school year. I just want to get through this life as quickly as possible. And all of a sudden you're gray, and you're old, and you're at a wedding, and you realized, my God, that was fast. Slow down. Don't get wrapped up in unholy hurry. Number four, Jesus simplified his life enough to respond correctly. Jesus responded to life in a simplistic, unhurried way. Don't rush what God is taking his time doing. Isn't that good? Remember that? Don't rush what God is taking his time doing. I can tell you, as a pastor or a leader for that matter, we want to rush things through. We want to rush leadership. We want to put people in leadership position. We want people to excel. We want them to, to strive. We want them to achieve. We want to put them in a microwave and say, you're ready. And I've, I've more often than not, and anybody that's been in ministry, if you see somebody that's put in a position of authority or leadership too early, it is always catastrophic. It is always catastrophic. My pastor said, when I came to church in, in Crown Point, Teresa and I showed up, we're like, man, here we are. You know, you know the story, right? We're super youth, super youth pastors and ready to serve, put me on staff, you know, put me in coach, I'm ready to play, you know, and all that. Uh, and it's just the oddest thing. He's like, well, why don't you have a seat for about six months? 
Like, what are you crazy? Six months. I'm ready to go now. I need to serve now. I need to get off. You know, I was doing roofing at the time. If you've ever done roofing, you realize that that is, uh, that is like next to steel mill work. Hell. I, I hate roofing. Um, so, uh, you, you know, God is, is never in a hurry. And neither should we be. Especially when it comes to developing leaders. When young people are developing the leaders, as Donovan does in our youth ministry, does it with time, lots of marinade, lots of soaking, lots of mistakes are allowed. But it is always very slow and purposeful. You'll always end up repeating a lesson if you rush what God is doing. You'll always end up repeating a lesson when you rush past what God is doing. Anybody can relate to that? Man, I can. I went around so many mountains the same. I've got, I mean, I've like a marked, marked territory. I'm like, oh, yep, set up camp here. Dunk, dunk, dunk. Oh, I've seen that before, right? Uh, here we go again. Yeah, oh, yep, been here before. I've been through this test. Yep, once, once again, let's try it again. Um, thankfully, we've grown, you know. I mean, it only took us 46 years. But we've grown. We're learning. Learn to slow down, listen to God, listen to the Father, say what He's doing, what He wants to do in His time. Number five, Jesus simplified His life enough to care. This was a story of the Good Samaritan. Remember you had a couple of, uh, of um, religious people, actually, a Levite and a priest. They were strolling by, man. They were in too big of a hurry to do God things for God and not recognize when God wanted to do things with them. That was another big turning point for me. How many of us struggle with doing things for God, but we absolutely forget to do things with God? I have done my entire life looking for things to do for God. And it sounds so good. It sounds so spiritual. It sounds so righteous. I'm just doing, I'm, what are you doing? I'm just doing stuff for Jesus. Praise God, brother. I, I'm, just, I'm just walking with you. I'm just doing stuff for Jesus. Man, that's the religious statement of the century. How many of us have learned to simplify our lives enough to do things with God? To learn to hear His voice. To say, uh, if it's not with you, I don't want to do it. You don't need more people to do things for you. You don't really need anybody to do anything for you. Come to think about it, he's your God. But he invites us to do things with him. How exciting is that? To partner with Almighty God in seeing his kingdom come to the planet. Are your life so complicated that you run past the need and care for others? Have we become so calloused and, and so <clears throat> used and mundane to all the needs we see every day? Do we just buzz right by them and not even pay attention? Have you learned to slow down to recognize the needs of others around you? You know, slowing down simply means hearing the, the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I'll say, man, should I go pray for that person? There's this little girl got wheeled up next to me in a wheelchair. I don't even know where I was. And uh, I'm like, man, I just want to reach over there and touch her and pray for her. And 
And uh, I could have, and I just, I, don't, I just didn't feel like I should. People would say, well, you should pray for everybody. Well, maybe, maybe God's teaching her something there for a season. I don't know. My job isn't to heal anybody. That's his job. My job isn't even to get anybody saved. That's his job. My job isn't to build a church, build a ministry, build a name. That's his job. It's his name, it's his ministry, it's his church. My job is to listen and obey. And I'm telling you, my friends, if your life is so hurried or you're so busy, you're so focused on what doesn't really matter, you're going to miss the things that matter the most. When you focus on things that don't really matter, you're going to miss the things that matter the most. Open your eyes. Slow down. Do things with God. And here's a great quote. Jesus walks at the pace of love. Remember that? What was the first attribute given to love in 1 Corinthians 13? It's patient. Could it mean that it means slow? You know, in relationships, you grow in love slowly. I'm more in love now with my wife than I was the day I told her that I loved her. Because it took me 24 years to grow slowly and deeper in love with her than I did the night I stood on her front porch and told her that. I knew I loved her that night, but I knew I didn't love her at this level. How could I? I had not yet grown with her. You know how long that took? 24 years. You know how long we're going to get to spend in life with each other? Hopefully another 34 years. That's love growing slowly. Why do we think in church or leadership or anything else that it's any different? Why do we think that we can grow a church quickly when love takes so much time to be nurtured and trusted and relationships take so much time to be you know, overturned and seeded and watered and reaped and harvested? Why do we think that we can, you know, oh, insta-church, you know, let's pour, pour some seed out, pour some water on it, let's franchise a church. Yep, let's just follow the model. It'll work. It's not church. You can say amen. It's not, that's not church. I don't know what that is, but it's not church. Church is slow, methodical, hard, easy, light, rough, frustrating, happy, rewarding. It's family. That's church. That's Jesus. And I think when Jesus looks at churches trying to live their lives that way, he smiles. As a prominent pastor made a statement last week that blew my mind about small churches and how people are selfish if they send their families to small churches. And I, and I didn't respond to anything on Facebook. You know, I don't, that's not really my argument point, but I'm preparing a blog, I think, about how I'd like to respond to this gentleman's statement. And this man I've learned a lot from. I respect highly. I love this guy. He's taught me a lot. But it, I, I, I even had to listen to the whole sermon in context to make sure I wasn't one of those people, you know, the, the spiritual police out there, you know, ramping on the, the guard, dunk, 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 you're wrong and I'm right, see? 
you know, just slow down, right? Well, he apologized, obviously, but my first thought was out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I thought, what would Jesus say to that statement? He's in the New Testament, and all the churches are meeting in homes. And it's just local families. It's the modern-day parish, if you will. It's a Catholic version of church. What would, he, what would they say? You know, you, you arrogant jerk. What, what would they say to that statement, that you're selfish for sending your students to small churches? My daughter um, says this to her friends as she comes on Friday nights. She'll invite her friends to Friday nights, and she'll say, look, guys, it's small, it's quirky, but it's my family, and I love them. You know, I'd rather have that than, oh, you can't, wait, do you, wait do you meet the superstar youth pastor? Wait do you meet the superstar worship leader? You, you know, and they aspire for the wrong thing. If you, if you train children and young people in that environment, what are they going to know? Well, I, either one... I'm going to try and be like that. Or two, I don't have the ability, talent, or anointing to be like that, so I just quit. But if you invite them to be part of a family and say, what are your desires? The biggest, doggone it, the biggest goal of pastors should not be to set forth their agenda, but for them to listen to their people and say, how can I serve you to help you reach your full potential in Jesus Christ? You want to you sum up the epitome of the position of pastor? It's shepherd. How can I guide you and lead you and feed you so that you live the best life? Ezekiel had a word for pastors today. He, he called them whores. He called them pimps. He called them hirelings. Because all they were interested in doing to their sheep was shearing them, slaughtering them, and eating them. That's not what we're about. Do you walk at the pace of love? Slow, simplify, enough to care. Yeah, we, we you know, we're... I'm not going to label us anymore. It's stupid. We're going to be who we are. But I promise you this. We're going to be real. And we're going to be family. And we're going to be raw. And we're going to be unpolished. But it's exactly, I promise you, it's exactly what people are dying for. They just don't know it. Number six. Jesus simplified his life enough to pray. And this was so good. W.F. Adams said this, but to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Has prayer become more enjoyable now that it's not a task you have to rush through? These are the things, as a teacher, I want you to apply to your life. I want you to say, Pastor, yeah, I've learned those sabbatical spaces in my life where I can enjoy prayer and not feel like guilty all the time because I don't have a half an hour in the morning to pray. You heard our testimony as we went to the Impact Conference last week and a girl was supposed to talk about prayer. She said, I can't talk about prayer. I suck at prayer. I need to talk about listening. Listening. 
my, my first words out of my mouth in the morning are cuss words because I've got three kiddos jumping on my bed, waking me up, you know, five minutes before the alarm goes off. That's real. I, wanna, I just want to set you free, my friends. Look, prayer is just unhurried conversation with the Father. We've learned to just invite him to every conversation. We're talking about, I don't even know what we're talking about in there. And Colin's like, well, God, I'm just going to start talking to you and invite you in. Let you know that we're, we're aware of you. Prayer is being aware of God. Prayer is living the awareness of God. Yes, are there times, there's dedicated times. Where, uh, David is setting up um, a men's prayer breakfast, uh, end of March, and it's going to be coming up real soon. So I'm going to prime your pump for that. Uh, be here at the church. But um, there's times for that. There's times for men to gather together, connect their hearts and what God is saying uh, with families. And you never hear about this stuff unless you take time to pray together. But man, guys, listen, I'm telling you, prayer is not the neglect of your family. Prayer is not being a jerk to your wife. Prayer is not, you know, setting aside a promise you made to your kids so you can go, you know, pray to God. I don't think God's pleased with that. See, again, that's doing things for God. But doing things with God is making your promise real with your children and then inviting God into that moment. That's prayer. Number seven. Jesus simplified his life enough to rest. This was probably one of my favorite uh, topics. Was the sabbatical, that the sabbatical places, the Sabbath. Remember that man's first mandate upon the planet was to rest. That Jesus uh, God created man on the sixth day. His next command was not to go tend the garden. His next command was to rest. Start your week from a place of rest. His place of work was launched from a place of rest. The Hebrew mindset saw the day beginning with rest, not with work. Our best work becomes, begins from a posture of rest. Trust, then, is the essence of Sabbath. Resting, believing that God's provision and plans will be enough to sustain us, the earth and the future. And this is big and slow, church. They really, truly believe that if you learn to live in the rhythms of Jesus, learn to rest, learn to, you know, the, um, the, the Napsio Levina, right? The divine, or Divina, the divine rest. It's made up word, as you know. Find those places. I love what Jordan Williamson said. He said, I've learned that sabbatical spaces are important. Spaces in our lives where we can just go, ooh, there's, a, there's an opportunity for me to enjoy some rest, recognizing the Father in this moment, and being refilled with Him. Right? Oh, five, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Sabbatical spaces. Number eight. Oh, this was a tough one, Remember? Simplify enough to suffer. Jesus simplified his life to live in the rhythms of grace. You know, grace doesn't really mean anything unless you're weak. Because he said, my grace is sufficient in your weakness. And when you're weak, I'm made strong. It's when and then, not a progression of weakness. And someday I'll be strong in, in you. No, he says, when you're weak, then I am made strong. It's instantaneously. When you, when you realize how weak you are, then I can make known how strong I am. We learned about the waiting room. The place of uncertainty, Sarah said. 
Isn't that so true? When you're in a waiting room, especially when it, it comes to doctors or something, you're just uncertain as to what's going on in the next room, not sure what's happening. The second place we learned about was the dry place. And the dry place reveals our depth, what's underneath us. You know, you can't tell the depth or life of a pond or a lake until it's drained. When it's drained, you really see how deep it is. How much life can it really sustain? And finally, the pruning. This is where stuff gets cut off your life. Even stuff you think is fruitful. Snip. <clears throat> Men don't like to hear the word snip. <laughs> yes, number nine. I mean, number ten. Moving on. Enough to grow. Jesus simplified his, enough, his, his life enough to grow. Remember Luke chapter 2, verse 52? And Jesus grew in wisdom and favor with God and man and in stature. It was important that the Bible let us know that he, had to, you know, he actually grew in height. Well, why? Why is that important? Because he was a man. Jesus simplified his life. He came to the planet to show us how to grow. Christian maturity is not a matter of doing more for God. It is God doing more in and through us. This quote changed my life too. Immaturity is noisy with anxiety-fueled self-importance. How many live that? And I, oh my gosh, rattle my own, you know, like I'm walking around with a pan and a spoon. Ding, 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 ding. Maturity is quietly content to pursue a life of obedient humility. Whether the titles come, positions come, you know, Harlan and I just had a great conversation about it doesn't matter. Being obedient is the best thing I have ever done and ever experienced. And the fruit from those experiences of obedience have, have lasting impact more than, you know, if I was a great author or in Charisma Magazine every day or leading leadership seminars. I mean, that's not what it's about. It's about just simply being obedient and walking in humility. God says, if you'll be humble, I'll exalt you in due season. I'll bring you up to your rightful place in my time. And he knows what my time is. At the Impact Conference, Harlan and I were given these lumps of clay. And during worship, we were told to make a cup or a bowl out of this clay as part of worship. Honestly, I've never done anything like this before in my life. And we're worshiping, and it was, it was good. And, and, I, and I'm working this clay in my hand. I couldn't help but think that this represented my life. And the premise was, when you get this lump of clay, you make this bowl as you're worshiping. You're working on it while you're singing and swaying and dancing or whatever. And you're, at, you're asking God to fill your cup or fill your bowl. And so I'm, I'd squish it down, and I don't have a clue how to make a cup or a bowl, and I'm looking around, and, you know, this is a, it's one of those cool Denver artsy churches, and there's guys with, you know, tulip glasses and a stem, and I'm like, what? You know, where did that come from? Um, like mine's a saucer. Like, well, God can't fill that. And I felt so bad. I'm like, God, I really want you to fill me this week. I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. I need to be fed. And so I'm working the edges, and, I'm, and I get this rudimentary cup, and it's just the size of my hand, and 
it's not even a cup, it's a bowl. And I realize, look at the bottom, and I can see my palm right through the stinking middle of it. And I don't care how hard I try. By this time, the clay is getting dry, and I don't have enough squishy, you know, to fill the hole. Every time I fill the hole, another hole would appear somewhere else. I'm like, how, how's my cup going to hold anything? It's got a hole in it. And I was just reminded of what D.L. Moody said. He said, God, I need to be filled every day because I leak. Were we to be so vulnerable with ourselves, all of our cracks and insecurities and holes, enough to grow, real growth. Not to clamor around and say how great we are, but to listen to the rhythms of Jesus slowly developing us. Maturity is quietly content to pursue a life of obedient humility. A couple days later, my little cup was in the van and I picked it up and it just fell apart. Like, well, okay, I guess I know what I'm not called to do. Material things can stifle our growth for God. Remember we talked about the rich man, the young, young rich man? And Jesus gives him an invita- invitation to follow me, which literally meant, I'm going to take care of you. You know, whatever you need, I'm going to take care of. Follow me. We've talked a lot about that. And the rich man couldn't do it. He was so dependent upon his wealthy things. And that was a challenge for us because how many times do you and I rely so much upon our material possessions to bring us happiness when all in reality, all it does is beg us to get more and more stuff? I got more stuff, therefore I need more stuff to store it in. I got more storage, therefore I need more, you know, I got to make payments on that. And I got to make payments on that. I got to make payments on that. What if you just strip down your life? I'm not talking going tiny house, but, you know, you strip down your life to the point where it's just simple. And you're not managing all this stuff. I've been carrying around stuff for so many years. Anybody ever heard of Zane Gray? I got a whole series of his. What am I doing? I don't read Zane Gray. It's like turn of the century, westerns. But I feel guilty if I got rid of them because my great aunt gave them to my father who then gave to me. So I've been toting them around for the last 15 years. What are those? My Zane Gray collection. Who the heck is Zane Gray? I don't know. Westerner. I live in Colorado now, so I got a Western collection. Well, it must make sense. Louis L'Amour, yeah, you're right. Number 11, <coughs> Jesus simplified his life by showing us how. This is the last one. Remember last week we talked about silence and solitude, no agenda, listening. We talked about slowing down, and then finally finding sabbatical spaces. Hmm. Well, I just encourage you guys, um, share, share what you've learned. You know, share with others. Implement it to your life. Simplify your life. Remember the first thing we talked about? It's more than cleaning out your closet. It starts here, in your high place. It starts in your mind. Simplicity starts here. Simplified life starts in your place of authority. It's telling your life that it can be simple and unhurried. And actually, that's the way it's supposed to be. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your grace on my voice. And the cough drop that sustained the throughout the entire service. Lord, we're not really wrapping up this series, I guess. It's more of a selah as we...
pause and reflect and learn to implement as a lifestyle. We just thank you so much for this family you're assembling, God, that you're putting together bit by bit, slowly, piece by piece, puzzle piece by puzzle piece. Lord, you are putting together, knitting and framing hearts that will be suspended through eternity. So God, there's so many things, as David said, not so much one or two or three points, but the entire steak and wine and potatoes that you served. All a combination of them in this fantastic meal of simplicity. Your burden is light. Your yoke is easy. You won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on me. And I'll learn to live in the rhythms of grace. In Jesus' name, amen.